Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast or welcome. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the Brown Vegan Podcast episode 171. And I am back, y'all, with our episode in our money series. If you're new here, I typically talk about vegan topics, vegan lifestyle, wellness, vegan entrepreneurship, in my opinion, a big part of wellness is money management. And so I started this series, was it last month, a month before, where I'm just going to every month, we're going to talk about finances. We're going to talk about money. I'm going to share my experiences and also bring on money experts and everyday people to share theirs as well. So in this episode, this will actually be the first interview. I have Latasha Thomas on here, my girl Grace, who will be on here later this summer to talk about her money story. Introduce me to Latasha. They're good friends. And I was like, okay, let's talk about it. Latasha is all about money management and motivation. She helps women take control of their money story. And Latasha was able to pay off over $32,000 in 11 months and 11 days. And so in our conversation, we're going to talk about how she did that of course, her relationship with money, like what is her money story, how she handles her credit cards. Also, why women, if you are single, should consider buying a home and not wait to get married like a lot of us are conditioned to believe that we should. We're going to dig into all of that as far as money and relationships, whether or not you should get a prenup and just financial freedom overall and why personal finance truly is personal and it's okay to do what works best for you in your situation. As always, you can get all of the show notes and everything mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com under episode 171. And don't forget to go follow Latasha on Instagram. Her page over there is Latasha underscore in underscore Thomas. I'll make sure that I link that as well for you. So yes, y'all, without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into the conversation. So we're going to go back in time because, you know, I love a good story. You have to tell us, like, how did you feel about money growing up? Was there like a sense of, because I know some people have like a sense of insecurity about money because they felt like it was never enough, even as kids, or they never really thought about it. So what is your experience look like as a kid with money? Yeah. So the family I grew up in, I'm one of four. And so I'm the oldest and we're all about three years apart. So it was a lot of us. The the conversations I heard about money were around, you know, their student loans and credit cards. So those were the two topics that I heard a lot about. My parents, you know, weren't and still aren't, you know, really flashy people. The money that they did have, I think they invested really well, you know, in us and they were really big and still big on education. So all of us, all four of us went to private school. I mean, I grew up in the suburbs, experienced, you know, settings where we were the only or, you know, one of the few black families in a sea of white families. So I did hear a lot of conversations growing up about the student loans, you know, the stress that that brought my parents. And, you know, the conversations were always around, like, how are we going to pay them off? So that that conversation and then with credit cards, kind of the same thing. So when I, you know, got older, I did have to take out student loans. And I say this because hindsight's always 2020. My parents really pushed for me to apply for scholarships. And I'll say, like looking back, 16, 17 years old, felt entitled because my parents were like, You're going to college. And I was like, okay, you know, and thinking, you know, when once you see, you know, your parents paying for school for 13 years, you just assume, okay, they want me to go. It's gonna come from somewhere. And I didn't really try at all to get the scholarships I could have gotten. So, you know, and I know I was a kid, but I, I looking back, 
I, I wish that I would have pressed harder because my sister, who's three years younger than me, she graduated without student loan debt because she was really on it with applying for scholarships. So mm. she was able to take my parents' wisdom and apply that. So I did come out of college or undergrad with student debt. Never a big credit card user. I didn't get my first credit card until I was around, I want to say like 23, 24. I had tried. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I had tried to apply for one earlier. And of course, they were like, you don't have enough credit history. Like, my parents didn't. And I'm actually glad they did not put me on, you know, one of their accounts or let me have access to their cards just so it would build my credit history. But yeah, I I got one because I was like, okay, if I'm ever stranded somewhere, I'm thinking, you know, it's an emergency, I'll just use it for that. And for years, that's what I did, which in hindsight, I'm glad I kind of did that. But as we know, a lot of times with credit cards, the marketing companies know this, the credit card companies know this, they know human behavior. So you kind of are like, okay, well, I have this credit card, I'm going to use it and the balance just keeps it getting bigger. So Mm -hmm. I think the most I ever had on the credit card was a few thousand. I don't remember the exact number, could have been up to six or 7,000. But I I always, for my credit card, paid over, you know, the minimum balance always for that. For my student loans, though, I paid, you know, I think one of my loans, I had a private loan and a federal loan. And I think one of them, the the monthly payment was around like $190. And I'm like, I can afford that. So I would just pay that. And I never missed a payment. It wasn't until about two years ago that I got serious about saying, okay, I want to wipe out all of my non-mortgage debt. So that's a little bit about my history with money growing up. I, I feel I still am this way. I'm kind of, I'm a practical person. So my issue actually, and I'm working on this, is spending money. You know, I joke about going to Target and stuff on my social media. But even when I'm in Target, I don't spend like hundreds of dollars. I just, you know, used to go there a lot, which, you know, you could yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're not going at the same time at that time spending, you know, $400 every time you go, but if you're going two or three times a week, you know, so it is $400. <laughs> yeah. That's my, my temptation is target and the container store. So I'm, I'm always in those two stores, but yeah, that's a little bit about my money store growing up. Yeah. I think it's very interesting that your parents had stress about the student loans, but when it was time for you to go to school, they didn't necessarily tell you not to do that. It's kind of like in so many ways, sometimes we think that that's the only way to go. Mm-hmm. And I get I get your perspective as well. You're like, okay, you want me to go, you need to pay for yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah. I get it. But even though they probably, like you said, they did push it and your sister took that advice, I still think that for a lot of us, we really do feel like that's the only way we'll be able to complete our education is by getting those student loans, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think so. So just to just for clarification, they they of course wanted me to go to college. And I remember my dad saying it was after I, I got a few scholarships, but not enough to cover the four years they paid for the first year. And then they were like, we can't, you know, do that. I think it was the first or one or the first or and or second year. So when the student loans came, it was like, okay, well, we can't afford it anymore. You got to take out loans because obviously I wasn't applying for enough scholarships. But even though I took out the loans, they were really adamant about telling me you need to make sure these loans are paid off. Like, do not let these things become a monster in your life. So good. Yeah. 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 Okay. Let me ask you this, though, because you said that you were actually thankful that they did not make you an authorized user on 
their cards when you turn 18. And when my kids turn 18, I actually did that because I was like, I'm gonna let these babies ride off of this credit score. <laughs> so how, why do you feel like that? You think you would have went crazy with it? That's why you didn't want that? You kind of wanted to build it for yourself? Yeah, I just never, just because of the conversations I heard and, you know, as kids, this is what I believe, at least for my life. I didn't always know whether it was money or something else. Conversations you hear being around adults, you don't exactly know the words to give to something, but you know that you, you feel like, okay, this is good. This is bad kind of thing. Right. And I never felt mm-hmm. positivity around credit cards. I, oh. my personality, even now I don't like borrowing money. And, and if I do borrow money, I try to pay it off, you know, as quickly as possible. I don't like the feeling of owing somebody, you know, I, I have a mortgage currently, but even with that, that's my next, my long-term money goal is to pay off the mortgage for this house as fast as I can. I want to get into real estate later, but I, I don't like having a lot of, a lot of debt and owing people. So that's just me. I know for some people listening to this, they may be like, well, there's ways you can, you know, you know, use credit to your advantage. And I think that's, that's true. But I feel like for most people, at least in the States, people credit is, is it's they're drowning in they're drowning in debt so yeah. like i said these companies know they market to people and i just don't like getting in the habit of using money that i don't have so even now so i do still use my credit card but and i know some people may really look at me like with the side eye with this one i had i have something coming off my credit card today and i'm paying it off i have the money but sometimes because of security reasons like, for example, if you go to a hotel or they hold your money, if you go to a hotel and you could have $8,000 in your checking account and you only need to take out $1,000 to save for like two or three nights at a hotel, they will hold your money. So they'll hold it yeah. even sometimes two or three weeks after. And it's like, but I have the money. So I don't even like going through the hassle. So for stuff like that, I use my credit card. And if I do use it now, especially, I pay it off as quickly as I can just because and I know some people are like, well, you have, you know, until the next statement, I just, I get it out of the way. I don't, I know that's right. Yeah, I don't want to be in the habit of that's how, when I bought, when I got the credit card, I mean, you know, I started off with, I'm only going to use it for emergencies. And then it became this, oh, I have it. And I just got real lax with using it. So mm-hmm. companies know that. So you have to know yourself. Some people, credit cards aren't an issue. They are very, 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 very disciplined about paying them off. I'm, I'm disciplined about mine. I just don't feel like I need to use it. And, and personal finance is personal. So for the most part, people should do you know what works for them, but it's very yeah. easy to go down that slippery slope with credit card debt. So. Yes, it is. I noticed that I spend more. Speaking of Target, if I go in there with my credit card, I'm going to spend more than if I just use my debit card. Yes. I don't really actually use my debit card a whole lot these days because I, I like the fact that I get 3% cash back usually mm-hmm. when I use my credit card. And 99% of the time when I get home, I just pay it off. I just wanted to 3%. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely notice, and I still feel like I have so many issues with money that I'm working on, but I noticed that I spend a hell of a lot more money when I'm swiping my deb- my credit card over my debit card. Mm-hmm. So I understand exactly what you mean when you say that. Yeah. So let's talk about this mortgage and the process of buying a home as a single woman, because this is something that's a huge goal for me for 2024. I really want to buy. I was married before and we had a home, but I want to be able to buy my own home as a single woman. So 
What year did you purchase your home? So I bought my house at the very beginning of 2015. I started looking for a home in, I would say, fall 2014. And so my parents, this is the good thing. So even though like you look back and you're like, well, I don't remember having sit down conversations all the time. Like, of course, we talked about savings and stuff like that. But my mom used to be a realtor. And my dad, I remember he, over the last couple of years before I bought my home, was like, you need to buy a home. You need to buy a home. And I'm at the time, I bought my house when I I just turned 28, 35 now. So I've been in it a little over seven years. And he just kept saying that. And I thought it was a good idea, but I guess I just was like, I didn't feel like I had the money. So the thing that actually pushed me, this is crazy, but it's not that crazy. I was in an apartment and I would move apartments every year because at least in this area, I live in the DMV, the rent increases really high. And I'm like, I'm not paying, you know, a few hundred dollars. It's ridiculous. So I would move. And, you know, I'd call my friends, my guy friends, and they'd be like, oh my God, you're moving again. I'm like, yeah. So... Twenty fourteen, my lease was about to end, and for the first time, I lived next to a, a chain smoker. I do not smoke. I feel like I have some sort of allergy or reaction to people who smoke cigarettes or to cigarette smoke. I should say, and it was coming through my wall. And when you have communal living, I, I just couldn't do it. And that is what finally pushed me. I was saving a little bit in hindsight. I'm like, I should have saved more. We'll get into that in a second. But I was, I asked my parents, I said, and, and I had the privilege of doing this. I know not everybody has this. They allowed me to come home to live, you know, and save money. So they gave me a six month deadline. They actually gave me a date of when I needed to be out. And I remember my dad sitting me down like about a month or two in. And I, I don't know if I wasn't saving enough money, but he was like, this is how much money you need to save to make sure that you are set in your goal. So. I guess when I was going through that process, you know, my mother told me, she said, this is going to be very emotional. Home buying is, it's, you're not always going to get a contract. There's things where you might see a, a house you really want and somebody snatches it and you just have to keep going ahead. The right, the right house will come. So the other thing I wanted to mention that you probably are interested in, even though I didn't know everything about money at the time, I am not married. I want to be married one day. I know there's a lot of people, I will say, but I feel like women are socialized this way in the United States. A lot of us feel like we have to you know, get married first or have an established family or like a bigger reason, if you, if you will, to buy a home. And this may sound weird, not weird, but it's, it's a reality. What if you don't get married? So you're just trying to buy real estate because as you've seen during the last two years of the pandemic, prices are going up. Costs are going up for everything. I think inflation is up at 8.5% now. That's the most it's been in 40 years since the 80s. So it's, you know, it's just going to keep going up. So if you're going to wait on someone, you know, to propose to buy a house, I always push women And I've said it multiple times on my Instagram, my social media, like if you want to do something and because I talk about money, I'm specifically talking about houses and other things with monetary value, go do those things. So I'm glad I did because you can always rent the house out. That's what my realtor told me. She was like, you know, you keep the house and you know, some people, it it is different. It depends on your lifestyle. I always push for real estate, but I realize that that's not always practical for, for some people. Owning a house is a large responsibility. It's not just the mortgage. You have maintenance costs. You have 
taxes. You want to make sure you're taking care of of your property. That's the whole process. So how much do you recommend? Because this is the thing, and that's just why I'm waiting to 2024, because I want to make sure that not only do I save a substantial amount of money for the down payment, but I also want to make sure that when I get in there, I can furnish it because I tell myself, oh, I don't mind having a few empty rooms, but you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what process did that look like for you as far as, did you think about those things as well? Or was it more so like taxes and like you said, maintaining the home? A lot of my money goes to interior design kind of stuff. I love homes. I love you know <laughs> color textures, stuff like that. I'm an artist, so I you know the bright colors and the patterns is a big thing for me. And actually, it was really overwhelming. My mom will tell you like I would call her and be like, I just don't you know. There's so much stuff I want to do, but I didn't have the money. So there's like reality, and then there's there's your your wants and your desires, and so. You know, family was telling me, just take it one day at a time. So I did not have my house completely furnished at the time. Like I mentioned before, I'm practical. I did not, I I did not finance furniture, you know, none of that. So there was stuff I I did say to myself, I wanted to buy a newer home. So the this house was built in 1999. So it's not that, mm-hmm. that new. And I'm I feel like 99 was a minute ago. It's not, you know, it's over 20 years ago. But I know, house, right? <laughs> I know. The house is fairly new. So there these houses are just getting around to the time where you need to start thinking about things. Like I got a roof about three years ago. So Things like that you need to know about, you know, maintaining an HVAC system. Mm-hmm. I just got my air ducts clean last Friday. So stuff like that, you know, and I, I was really overwhelmed with, you know, furnishing and making sure the house looked like an HGTV, you know, feature. <laughs> and and then, you know, you just live in it for, for, for years after and you don't feel the pressure. I, I, this is another thing I have to work on. I wouldn't even have people over. I'm kind of an introvert, but it was more of like, I feel like my house isn't good enough. That's a whole other conversation. Oh. It was really hard on myself because I really like it to be tight. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So yeah, it was not, I did have stress about you know, buying things that can furnish the house and making it look like how I wanted to, it to look like. But, you know, as I started making more money, of course, you know, because a lot of times the, the lender knows that that's why they lend to you. Like most people will will increase their income over time. So then you're able to do more of those things that you want once you can afford it. So, yeah. What are your plans as far as paying off your mortgage? I know you mentioned that a little bit ago. As far as like aggressively paying your mortgage, what does that look like for you? So my plan right now, I'm aiming to pay this house off by the time I turn 40. So that would have been, I would have had, by that time, I would have, will be in the house for 12 years or have the house for 12 years. So you do hear these conversations about, well, is it smart to pay off the mortgage? And again, it's up to you. Yeah. People talk about the tax break, but you know, I don't feel like anything can beat not having to pay a mortgage. That's most, okay. right. That's most of most people in the United States. That is our biggest mortgage or rent. That's our biggest expense. So if you say a pandemic comes around, I guarantee you, theory's great, but the people who paid off or didn't have a mortgage right when that pandemic hit, they could have lost their job or whatever. I guarantee you they were not regretting paying off their house because there is, you know, there's numbers 
And then there is the, this is why I'm doing it because of the security it brings me. That's one of my values. I really value security and freedom because if you don't have a mortgage, maybe you can go work that job that you've always wanted to work, but you felt that it didn't bring enough income in, or you can start a business and give more time because you don't feel as tied to your job, your nine to five. So You'll hear some people say, well, it's a low interest rate, you know, compared to credit card stuff like that. It doesn't make sense. But again, it depends on you because I don't like owing owing anybody and it helps me. I can buy more real estate or do other things and acquire other assets because it's not tied up with this mortgage. So it's more money yeah. and stuff like that. So yeah. So you're planning on holding on to this first home and then purchase a second one? Like, do you know what you plan to do at this point? Yeah. So I actually, and this is, this could be a whole other interview, but I'm in the midst of estate planning. So this home will go into my trust. So it will be passed down. So this house, I, I don't intend to get rid of it unless something catastrophic happens. And then I will purchase another home. So I will not live here forever, but it will certainly be a part of my estate. So. Yes, legacy wealth building. I love it so much. Oh my goodness. It's Monique hopping in to tell you about one of my favorite brands of cookies and to let you know how you can save some money when you try them for yourself. Shout out to Maxine's Heavenly for sponsoring this episode of the show. I've told you about them before, and I'm going to keep talking about them because they make delicious gluten-free cookies that will satisfy any sweet tooth without a million ingredients. Maxine's Heavenly Cookies are naturally sweetened using ingredients like dates and coconut sugar. They have two lines of delicious cookies to choose from. From their super soft line of cookies, my favorites are the peanut butter chocolate chunk and snickerdoodle. And from their crispy line, I would say that my all-time favorite out of all the cookies has to be the chocolate chip. It's like the perfect ratio of chocolate chips and crunch. Ugh, my favorite. I think you'll love those. For a generous 25% discount, all you have to do is head over to MaxinesHeavenly.com and use the discount code BROWNVEGAN to save some money on your first purchase. Once again, that is MaxinesHeavenly.com, discount code BROWNVEGAN as one word. I'll also be sure to link them in the show notes for this episode as well as the blog post to make it easy for you to click through and purchase. And speaking of like estate planning and just relationships, we kind of touched on that a little bit. I want to talk about money and relationships as far as in serious relationships, yeah. because you are so clear about the life that you want for yourself. Do you notice that you run into some issues as far as dating? How does that look for you? I know you're in a DMV, so a lot of people, you know, the disposable income is usually higher up here and people usually do pretty well. But do you run into people not necessarily having the same vision that you do? Because you, we know that people can make a lot of money and have none. So how does that look for you? Yeah. So I would say, you know, having casually dated over the years, money was not a topic that, you know, was brought up, at least where it's a serious conversation to what are your values around money? Because we're aiming towards marriage. There was a previous relationship I was in where this did come up in conversation because it was a serious relationship. So it's interesting because since I've been on this money journey, you know, paying off the debt, which we'll get into in a second, we've been in a pandemic for two years. So I have not seen what it looks like as far as dating when, you know, you accomplish something like this and then you're on this path to 
build generational wealth and that kind of thing. It's a, it's a mindset shift. So dating for me now, it's going to look different than it was, you know, three or four years ago. And it should for, for, for most people, you progress, you develop and you get new goals. What you said is funny and it's true because there's a lot of people out here, not just out here, but everywhere where, you know, there's a lot of cap on these apps, like we say. So you see, okay. And we feel like people have money, but you know, the, the statistics say things different. I forget what the percentage is, but it's a very large number of people in this country who live paycheck to paycheck. DC, this area is very expensive to live in. I know people in New York or San Francisco may be like, eh, but it is expensive. If you've seen Atlanta since the pandemic, I mean, Atlanta has been steadily creeping upwards in the last few years, both the pandemic, I think the average home down there now is like ha- almost half a million dollars, somewhere around 450, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. So I think with people, you know, you, you never know. There's a lot of smoke and mirrors out here. So I think it comes down to values when it's about dating. Like, you know, people may feel like money's a hard topic to bring up. And a lot of people, they don't even talk about this. If they're trying to get married or not even just married, just in a serious relationship, or if they live with their partner, they just don't have conversations. I know that some couples have money dates where they have a scheduled time on their calendar where they sit down and they say, oh, they either balance their budget, they talk about you know goals that are coming down the line, things like that to make sure that they're on the same page. You're never going to be with somebody who's exactly like you, but I feel like you need to, this is my opinion, I would need to be with somebody who has a growth mentality and mm-hmm. who, like if somebody was to tell me, this is just me, of course, I'm just going to die with my debt. That's how it is. It's just whatever. It doesn't bother me. That's probably not going to work for me. Other people, it, it, it may work because debt is so normalized and that is something that's fine for them. If somebody told me, you know, I don't believe in, you know, wealth building through real estate or why would you do that? That's probably not going to work for me either. So that's me specifically. But when it comes to money, just like anything else, you have to know what your values are. A lot of people don't want to bring it up because they, in their relationship, because they feel like, well, if I bring it up, you know, I I think money is the number two reason for divorce in this country. So it's, it's a taboo topic. I read somewhere, and I believe this, that people would rather talk to a stranger about their sex life than they would talk about money with people that they know. It's very taboo. And I mean, like intimate stuff about their sex life. And it's just interesting because, you know, People feel like, you know, there's a lot of feelings around money. There's, there's, there's guilt. Some people are afraid that it it makes you greedy. It's just bad. And it's like, well, not talking about it's hurting it, hurting us. And we actually do talk about it more than we think just because you're not talking about numbers or you're not as overt about it as I am on social media. You're talking about it because when we see you on these trips, you know, or we see, you know, this event that you've put on and we know that money's gone into it. You're just, it costs money. So we talk about mm-hmm. money all the time. We just, we're, we're looking at the consequences of the money that's spent. Yeah, I'm so glad you're saying all of this. This is why I want to do this series. This is why this is so important to me because I want us to have open conversations about money because that's the only way that we'll grow from it. But you're absolutely Ooh. right. People 
do not like to openly talk about it. They just don't. I get it. So what about like a prenuptial agreement? Do you feel like you would have to have one in place if you decide to get married? If you talk to me, I actually had this conversation with an ex-boyfriend. This was years ago. And he's an attorney now. And it's funny because I was absolutely against prenups. This was before I bought my home. This was before, you know, just, I just didn't see a reason. I thought they were for really, really rich people. If you ask me now, absolutely. Okay. Because look, you have things to protect now. Okay. You got a legacy and some some stuff you want to keep in the family. Yeah, so I, I get and it. It's, and it's, I can see both sides. Like some people feel, you know, if you talk about a prenuptial agreement or if you ask your partner, bring it up, or how do you bring it up, that that is a red flag and you're setting your relationship up or your marriage up for failure. I get that argument. Some people would counter that and say, well, you don't drive a car without insurance, right? You don't hope to get an accident, but if you do, you need to be covered. Prenuptial agreements are supposed to, I believe, work for both parties. So it's not all about, you know, I came into the marriage with this and if we split, then, you know, there's an understanding of how the assets will be split. It also protects, you can set it up, for example, if you have a partner who stays home with the kids, you know, they're, they're planning to stay home. When you split up, because this is such a real issue, people don't think about this with prenups. If you split up and your partner is able to build their career because you've been at home raising kids, if you split up, you know, we, we've seen uh, di- divorce and, and the impacts. It doesn't always fare well for women. So if a woman, and, and I'm saying woman because a lot of times it's, it's women staying at home. I know they're stay-at-home dads as well, but there's, they're depending on the income of their spouse or partner. And so some people's argument would be, well, if I wasn't staying home, then you wouldn't be able to, you know, climb the career ladder. So you can have something in in there and that prenup that outlines, okay, if we split up, I've been, you know, I I plan to stay home with our kids for, it could be five, 10 years. I know to some people that's really like, oh my God, how can that happen? My mother stayed home with us for, for most of our childhood. So there are there are situations where that has happened and it still does happen. But a prenuptial agreement can, can I won't say any, be anything you want it to be, but it's not just the, I'm trying to protect my money and blah, blah, blah. It's giving it a plan of, you know, while we are, you know, we like each other and we're in love and, you know, our minds are clear let's do this. So, cause you know, if, if, if divorce happens, then, you know, it's already set up. The other thing too, I was listening to a YouTube channel where they had mentioned it was, it was prenups, but they also mentioned this and people don't think about this. I've never lived with a partner, but there are a lot of people who live together before they get married. They also mentioned in that episode where they met, they said that it's important to have a contract in place even if you're not married, of course, it's not a prenup, but you need to have a contract. I've seen people split up. They were living together for years. They bought a dog together, for example. Now it's a fight on where the dog goes. So if you are commingling finances or you know assets come into the picture, married, unmarried, I feel like there needs to be some type of agreement because we've seen too many situations, a lot of times women where they didn't want to have the conversation or just people in general. But I say women because a lot of times we fare worse when it comes to these types of situations where if they would have had the conversation or at least saw where their partner was coming from, they would have been able to 
make moves based on that. But if you don't talk about money, I mean, there's a lot of people, it's crazy to me, they just don't talk about money. For example, if you're getting married, I feel like, because I've had this conversation, it's not just, are you in debt? Because most people, I would say, are in some type of debt. It's, it's how much debt are you in? What do you feel okay. about paying <laughs> off the debt? Because like I said earlier, some people will tell you, they're like, oh, I'm going to die with this. They don't plan on paying it off, depending on what your value is around that. You know, it, you know that's, that's you. But you need to understand that because a lot of people get into these relationships or these marriages and then their eyebrows are raised because they didn't have the conversation. So now you're wondering why your partner, because you were raised to talk with your partner about big purchases. That could have been how you were raised. You saw that with your parents or guardian. You're expecting that because that's what it was. You didn't know you needed to talk about money. And so you're looking at them weird when they come home with a car and you had no idea. For some people, mm-hmm. they have that agreement in their marriage. I'm just using that as an example where it wouldn't matter if somebody bought a car. As long as the bills are paid, it's whatever. But for some people, that's a big thing. And then you see things like financial infidelity where, you know, people are hiding money and just not being honest about, you know, what they have and how they move when it comes to money. So, yeah, yeah. So what was the process as far as you actually for this financial journey paying off the debt that you had? Because I know right now, of course, you don't feel comfortable with using your credit card and carrying a balance on there, but you did have some debt before. Was it mostly just a student loan debt that you paid off in 2020? So let's back up a little bit. So one of my friends, there was a couple of reasons why I started on the journey, but you know, I'll give you a few. So one of my friends hosts a vision board party every year. So at the beginning, I think at 20 in 2020, in January, we had one. Of course, this was right before the pandemic hit the U.S., So we had already known about COVID, but it wasn't really like here yet. So I'm saying that for a reason. So we typically have our vision board parties at the very beginning of the year. At this point, I think we had been meeting for two or three years. And so instead of doing specific goals for mine, I usually have a theme. And so I said, I really wanted to focus on finances. I've always, I feel like in my early twenties and even into now, even though I wasn't you know, perfect. Nobody's perfect with their money, but I didn't know as much as I know now about it. I always felt like, yeah, it would be cool to like have no debt or pay things off or, you know, stuff like that. So I said, I wanted to focus on making better money decisions. So I wanted to start an accountability group. So I tried to do this a few years back and I didn't get a lot of reception. And so the three friends that were there were like, oh yeah, that would be be great. We can talk about our money goals for every you know every month this year so we were going to commit to a year so it was funny not really funny but the pandemic hit about 2 3 months later after we had talked about this so my goal at the beginning of January 2020 was only to pay off the remainder of my federal student loan which was around $8000 at the time i had been paying on the loan at that time for about almost 12 years because I graduated from undergrad. I went to Howard University, the illustrious Howard University, (laughs) graduated in 2008. So I'd been paying up until, you know, then, like I mentioned before. So I had about $8,000 and I was like, I want to pay this off. And that was my goal for the year. So of course, nobody knew COVID was happening. And, you know, I still stuck to my goal. And I was just like, I can keep, you know, forging ahead. So my total debt at the time, even though this wasn't my goal at the very beginning of 2020, 
was $32,511.92. That was my debt outside of my mortgage. So that included a credit card balance that was around, I think, $375. I had a student loan that I just mentioned for $8,000. I had a private student loan where the balance was $16,500. And then I had a thrift savings plan loan, which is like, I'm a federal employee, so that's like our 401k. That was around $7,000. And that loan, and I, even though it was you know, paying myself back, I still considered it debt because I took out a loan against my retirement. And the reason why I did that, I would not advise this. I'm not a financial planner, certified financial planner, but looking back, I would have just saved it. I took it out because I put it towards the down payment on my house. I put around, I think, $25,000 towards my down payment. So half of it I saved and the other half I took out of my thrift savings plan. So that all totaled to a little over 32K. So there were a lot of things I did. You know, I had the accountability group that I just mentioned. I have to say that I feel like God's grace had a lot to do with this. Just for me personally, I don't think I would be able to do it without him. And I feel like, you know, everything thing matters, you know, being raised in a family where, you know, we weren't rich, but I I did have little little nuggets of wisdom given to me, you know, about life in general, and then indirectly or directly about money. So I I had the family support. I know a lot of people don't have that. And then there's even people where they have people around them proactively telling them like, this is not something you should be doing. So I did have a lot of support from friends and family. The method that I used to pay off the debt is what you'll hear in the personal finance community. We call it the debt snowball. So there are a few ways. I mean, there's other ways, but there are about two ways that are really popular. I'm going to name a third one. So I, the one I used was the debt snowball. And what that says is regardless of interest rates, regardless of what the math, you know, how it makes sense, you line up your debts based on the smallest balance to the biggest balance. And you, when you start out, and for me, that was the credit card you start out and you put all of your effort towards that, getting that debt paid off as much, you know, as quickly as possible. And once that's paid off, you act like you still have that debt and apply it to, you know, say, I think my debt for the, for the credit card, like I mentioned again, was $375. So acting like I still had that, I would pay $375 towards the federal student loan plus whatever else I can. So it's just an accumulating effect. So that is what I did, give or take. There were like two I reversed, but that's what a lot of people do. And some people who use the debt avalanche, which is the more, I guess this is the one where you pay less interest. They say, well, it's not, it doesn't mathematically make sense to do the debt snowball because over time you're going to end up paying more interest, which is true. But like I mentioned before, it's personal. It's personal. And these companies know, we know it's like losing weight or, or being healthy. We know we have to exercise and create a, a calorie de- deficit, but it's, it's the doing. So if, if getting the small wins for the debt snowball makes more sense, then do that. So for the debt avalanche, what that says is you pay the debt that has the highest interest rate first. For many of us, that happens to be credit cards. So it happened to be the same thing for me anyway. It was my smallest balance and it had the highest interest rate which I do not remember at the time, but I know it was in the double digits. So the last one, this is not as popular, but it's called the debt tsunami. So what that is, say you borrowed money from a sibling and it's putting a rift between you because you owe money. And every time you see them at a family function, you know, they're like, where's my money? Or, you know, 
asking about it. So it's creating an emotional issue between you and this person. They say to attack that debt first because that is the debt that's going to give or the the payoff that may give you the most peace of mind, depending on what's what else is going on in your life. So those are the three main ones. Again, I use the debt snowball. So that was my method. Another thing I did, a couple of other things, I tried to de- decrease expenses where I could. There are a couple of, you know, utilities or just, you know, cell phone company. I called them and said, Hey, you know, I've been a customer of yours for X amount of years. You know, can you take some money off? So that did work in some cases. So I was able to save monthly on that. I got any promotions I got at work or awards. All of that went to debt. Absolutely all of it. And then what I, the other thing I would do is I would figure out by paycheck because I wanted to have this debt paid off by December 31st, 2020. I paid it off on December 11th, 2020. So it was 11 days and I would calculate my paycheck. So I would say, okay, I have 20 paychecks left and I still have this amount of debt to pay off. This is how much I need to pay off using, you know, per paycheck. So that kind of helped me. And then also just documenting it on Instagram and having visual aids up around my house. I'm a visual learner and listening to anything finance related, watching anything finance related, just so I was in that my mind was constantly primed to be ready for just continuing to reach my goal of paying off this debt. So, and I still listen to something finance related every day. This is, these are really good tips because this actually was going to be the question that I was going to have. The last question I was going to have for you is to share some tips, but these were really good tips. And I feel like they're very practical. I love your emphasis on personal finance because it's so easy for us to see so much information online and feel like we have to do what everyone else is doing. But being able to take control of our own situation and doing things that feel good to us is is really, really important, I think, for long-term change. So I'm glad you, you emphasize that because that's really important. Yeah, yeah. So let us know, because I know you have something coming up in June, don't you? In June, I don't have anything coming up in June other than I, I am getting a few speaking engagements. Oh, I thought you were going to do your cohort. I thought that you were doing that in June. No? Oh, yes. You're right. You're right. It's July. It's not June. It's, it's, it's Okay, July. <laughs> okay. With June. Yes, yes. I do have some speaking engagements coming up July. So with my accountability groups, what I did is after that first round, I started doing six-month co- cohorts and having people apply for those. So th- I am doing another round in July. We're towards the end of the one that's for this round that started in January. But they were free previously. They are going to cost this time. So yeah. the information will be available on my Instagram, which which is at Latasha underscore N underscore Thomas. So the price and all that kind of stuff will be available. I also have a newsletter that goes out every month. You can also subscribe to that using my Instagram yeah, you should start a podcast. You really oh, should. We'll talk about this later. <laughs> but you should. Because I was thinking that as I'm sitting here listening, I'm like, you have so much to share, so many different ways that you can present this. I would, I think it would be amazing. And I'm yeah. glad that you're charging now because there's, there's so much energy that's transferred when you charge for things like that. People are more likely to take action. Yes. So I, I think that that's a really good idea to shift to a paid option. So yeah, yes. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Tasha, this has been amazing. I'm so glad that Grace introduced us. I'm so glad that you're one of my first people for the money series. Thank you so much for being so transparent about your experience and just sharing some incredible tips on how we can get out of debt, save for our homes and just make good decisions when it comes to money. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the show. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to make it easy for others to find us. Also, tell a friend. Be sure to share the episode on your Instagram stories and tag Brown Vegan. Thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you next week.